Well, the Apostle Peter had a concern for Christians as he wrote to them. He opened his second letter with a concern and telling us about how God's divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through a knowledge of him who called us and then expressed a number of different characteristics that needed to be added to our faith. And the reason why that would be so important is he said, if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being useless or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. I think this is an interesting picture to say that God is trying to keep us from being unfruitful or useless. That is a pretty derogatory term. I don't know that anybody wants to hear you are completely useless. That is something that you go, that is not my goal in life, not what I want to tell somebody, not what I want to hear from somebody. And yet, notice the Apostle Paul, or Apostle Peter says that that is something that is possible. How sad to be able to say of the people of God that they are useless and unfruitful. And yet that was Peter's concern. And I wanted to give you that New Testament picture because that is the Lord's picture to the people of Israel in Ezekiel chapter 15. Ezekiel 15 is where we're going to be tonight. If you have a copy of God's word, you can be in Ezekiel 15. In fact, Ezekiel 15, 16, and 17 present three different images about the problems that Israel was facing. And in chapter 15, it is ultimately a concern of uselessness. Now with Ezekiel, he either performs a lot of parables or tells a lot of parables, and he has a parable about a vine that he's going to tell the people of Israel. And you'll notice the uh, the great picture that's given here in Ezekiel 15 and verse 1. It reads, the word of the Lord came to me, O mortal, how does the wood of the vine surpass all other wood? The vine branch that is among the trees of the forest is wood taken from it to make anything. Does one take a peg, uh, hang it, take a peg on it from it and which to hang an object? It is put in for fuel for the, for the fire. And when the fire has consumed both ends and the middle of it is charred, is it useful for anything? When it was whole, it was used for nothing. How much less when the fire has consumed it and charred it, can it ever be used for anything? I want you to think about the visual that that God gives through his Ezekiel. And to try to get a sense of this, I want you to think about a vine. Let's kind of think about the, And I want you to have in your hands, in your mind, this detached vine branch sitting there in your hands. And the question that is being posed is, if you have a vine branch that is taken away from the vine, can you use that vine for anything? Does it have any sort of value whatsoever? And that's the question he keeps asking. He goes, can you think about what furniture you make with vines? Uh, No. Uh, Could you use the vine to hang something from it? No. There's zero usefulness to a vine branch. It doesn't do anything. And the whole point is for us to think about is that with a vine branch, it really only does one thing. And that's bear fruit. You can't do anything else with it. 
You're not building things with it. You're not selling things out out of it. You're not hanging things with it. It has no usefulness whatsoever. It just simply then is cast into the fire. And I want you to think about just that image for a minute. It is fascinating to me that of all of the different images that God could use in describing his people, he frequently uses a vine image. In fact, for Israel, it's constantly used. Things like in Isaiah 5, Psalm 80. We could go to lots of places where God uses imagery to say, you're like a vine. It, you should think about that. God doesn't say, you're like the cedars of Lebanon. <laughs> he doesn't use pictures of strength or of power and height where you have to go like, ooh, wow, cedar of Lebanon. He never does that. He goes, you're a vine. (laughs) And the reason I think about that is because there is a singular purpose that is given to God's people. Your purpose is in your fruitfulness. And that is the problem that is being depicted here in in this image is saying your value is in your fruitfulness. Now, now verses three and four are, are even funnier. Verses four and five in particular He says, all right, you have this vine branch. It's detached from the vine. Can you do anything with it? Then he goes, now imagine putting it in the fire and cooking it and charring it on both ends. Imagine it kind of smoldering a little bit. Pull it back out. Now is it useful? Well, now it's even less useful. It was good for nothing in the first place. And now that you've pulled it back out of the fire, it's even more useless. And that's what he describes there in in, in verse 5. He says, when it was whole, it was used for nothing. Now that you've thrown it in the fire and pulled it back out, it has even less value. Now you can imagine while everybody's sitting there listening to Ezekiel tell this parable, they're all going, okay, what's your point? Verse 6, therefore, thus says the Lord God, like the wood, <clears throat> like the wood of the vine among the trees of the forest, which I have given to the, to the fire for fuel. So I will give up the inhabitants of Jerusalem. I will set my face against them. Although they escape from the fire, the fire shall still consume them. And you shall know that I am the Lord when I set my face against them. And I will make the land desolate because they have acted faithlessly says the Lord God. So here's a really important point is now let me tell you what I mean by this parable. And he says in verse six, Jerusalem is the useless vine. They are the ones that are going to be cast into this inescapable fire because they have been found fruitless. They are useless. They have not carried out their purpose because their sole purpose was to be fruitful before God. And they have failed to do that. In fact, the words are so strong in verse seven. Where God says, I've set my face against them. That's a terrifying image. Here's God saying, because you are not fruitful, because you have not carried out your God-given purpose, I've turned my face against you. So I am against you in everything that is going to happen. And the reasoning there is in verse 8, because they have acted Faithlessly, And I want you to get a sense of what this simple parable was saying. Because you have been disobedient, because you have been unfaithful, you are now useless to God. You are unable to carry out your purpose. Now, the reason I want to have that in, in our mind is because there's an important thing that Jesus does with this vine imagery. 
When Jesus comes along in John chapter 15 and he starts talking about vines, that is not a story that he's telling that is just coming out of right field in which the people would have never had understanding. In fact, what Jesus says in John 15 have very direct connect points and parallels to what Ezekiel just said here. If you don't have your, take your Bibles, you can keep a ribbon marker here as we might come back into that text in just a minute. But go over to John 15 and I want you just to hear the parallels between what Jesus says and what God said through Ezekiel. John 15. Here are Jesus' words, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Now listen to what it says here, verse 2. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away or removes. So here is this start point. And sometimes I think when we read, we know here... He is the vine and we are the branches. And sometimes we can almost have a tendency to think like, yes, we are these great, strong oak branches. It's not the visual. The visual is the vine branch like Ezekiel 15. It's not like, you know, here you're this great, strong tree. You know, here Jesus goes, okay, I'm the true vine. You are vine branches that are coming off of that. That's, that's who you are. And so what it makes sense is then to say, Every vine branch that doesn't bear fruit is cut off, of course, because that's its singular purpose. That's why it exists. There's nothing else you can do with it. It's intended to be fruitful. It intends to be able to carry out its very purpose. And when it doesn't bear fruit, then it needs to be removed. And notice what Jesus does with that in verse four. He says there, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, it is he that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. I want you to... get a sense of what Jesus is doing with that visual as he's taking Ezekiel's imagery and essentially bringing it forward and using it all over again for us as the people of God. And he gives the picture here. The branch cannot bear fruit by itself. I want that just to kind of settle into our minds for a moment. It is impossible for us to be fruitful people of God if we're disconnected from Christ. He just laid out the impossibility. In fact, it is such strong words when he says there, a branch cannot bear fruit by itself, neither can you unless you abide in me. The only way for us to be what God wants us to be, to be able to bear the fruit that you see portrayed in the scriptures for, like the example, the fruit of the spirit. And to carry out those characteristics that God is looking for as his people is to see that it requires a direct connection to Christ. It's not possible for us to be disconnected from him, be over here doing our own thing and think we're going to be bearing fruit. In fact, you'll notice the imagery continues even a little bit further when he says, if you remain in me, verse five, 
then you will bear much fruit. Now, I want you to notice in verse five, when he says that he doesn't say if you're connected to Christ, you've got a good chance of being fruit bearing. You've, you've got you got a shot. You know, you might be fruitful. Notice there, there are two absolutes. And these are the pictures. If you are connected to Christ, you will bear fruit. In fact, I still didn't read it right. Look at it again. You will bear much fruit, he says. If you're connected to him, then you're going to bear all kinds of fruit. But if you're not bearing fruit, then what must that mean? But you're disconnected. You're not remaining in Christ. And that's the underscore of verse 5. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And I just want you to think about that statement for a minute. Apart from him, it is not possible to do anything. One of the things that God is trying to communicate to us in a variety of ways in scriptures that is being used in Ezekiel 15 in regards to Israel's failure. And now Jesus is using it here in the exact same way in the New Testament is to help us get a sense that our lives simply cannot be what God wants them to be without a living, abiding, remaining, direct connection to the vine, to Christ. It's not possible. Now, the reason why I think that is really important is because how many people, and even in Christians, well, you know, I just don't know why I'm not finding joy in life, why life just seems so upside. I don't have satisfaction Anything I turn to, and I want you to get a sense of here, Jesus is walking into that discussion. And he's saying here, apart from me, you can't do anything. Apart from me, you're not going to have the life that you're supposed to be because you are a vine branch. And when you see yourself as a vine branch, you understand you only have one purpose. And your purpose is to be fruitful And if you're not fruitful, then you're going to have that lack of satisfaction, that lack of joy, that lack of purpose. It is that very thing that God has given to us. Everyone wants to go, what, why are we here? Here's Jesus telling us plainly, here's why you're here. You're a mind branch. You're supposed to be fruitful. And the way for you to be fruitful is to abide in me. And a branch that is properly connected to Christ has to bear fruit. It's not possible for it not to bear fruit. Just as much as it is impossible to bear fruit if you're disconnected from the vine. And that's why Jesus is using that imagery. And this is what Ezekiel is coming along and saying. He says, I'm looking at you and you're a vine branch, but you're not bearing fruit. You're useless to God. You're not mean what you've been called to be. That's why he was throwing the vine in the fire. You're already good for nothing. I'm going to throw you into the fire, as he's speaking of Jerusalem, the Babylonian invasion, the judgment that's going to come upon them. And are you going to be any more useful then? No. Now, you might remember why Ezekiel would have to say that. Remember what the people in Jerusalem were saying? We're the meat. We're the good stuff. The people who were carried off into captivity, they're the sinners. They're the terrible ones. They're over there. Here we are in Jerusalem. We're the good stuff. And he goes, no, actually... You're the branch that's been cut off, that's good for nothing, that I'm about to throw in the fire. And when I pull it back out, you're still not going to have anything of use to me. 
you're not the remnant. You're not the people of God. You're not the ones that I'm looking at. You're fit ultimately for destruction. Now let me bring you back to John 15 again for a minute though. And notice a a little bit more of the picture that that he gives. We noted in verse 5 that it says, Apart from Jesus, we can do nothing, that our lives cannot flourish without this connection. Jump down to verse 11 and listen to what Jesus is saying here. In verse 11, he says, These things I have spoken to you that my joy that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Two things I want to zero in on there to think about what you have God trying to tell us. Number one, second part of verse 11. Jesus is giving us a picture that your joy is only in Christ. That'd be worth talking about for a really long time. Because you know how many places we try to find our joy and satisfaction and long-lasting happiness and all of that in every other place. Which is what is going on here in Ezekiel 15? Remember what they've done? They have idols in their hearts. They've been going after the things of the world. They're pursuing those things. They think joy and satisfaction is out there somewhere. It's in sinning. It's in living life. It's getting away from God. He is oppressing us. And we need to do what we need to do and what we want to do when we want to do it. And here Jesus comes along and says, you want to know why I'm telling you this whole buying story? One reason why is because it is absolutely impossible for you to have lasting joy and satisfaction disconnected from Christ. That's quite a statement. But think about how true that is. Think about the temporary nature of sin, the temporary nature of this world, the temporary joys of this life. Think about how many things that we enjoy in this world even if they're not sinful, that just doesn't last. I like using the car illustration. You know, the, you, you get your new car. This is the great car. I'm never going to need another car. I'm going to love this thing forever. And then it's like my car now, 11 years later with some great scratches right down the line, you know, and the car's shaking and it's rattling. And it's making a whole lot of wreck. But that was the car. It's temporary. You have the latest, greatest new phone. Can't beat it. Fastest, amazing pictures. You know, you can text people faster than ever before now on this device until next year when the next one comes out. And now it's like, oh, I don't have the latest, greatest, newest thing. I need a a phone that has 50 cameras on the back and four is completely insufficient. Everything in this life is temporary. Nothing gives lasting happiness. All of it is just a moment and then it breaks, falls apart, dissolves, goes away, ages, whatever. And here's Jesus coming along going, I want you to know something. Joy and satisfaction is absolutely impossible detached from me. You're not going to find it out there. In fact, trying to find it out there disconnects you. And now you become useless and you're worthy of being thrown into the fire. And so he says, I write these things to you 
that your joy may be full or your joy may be complete. I hope you'll circle that idea when you're thinking about joy and satisfaction. Do you want full joy? Here's the answer right here. Here's what he's giving us. This is how to have that joy. But notice in verse 11, there was a second thing that he said. Not only is there this picture that God wants you to have full joy and trying to show us it's not out there. It's not in the world. It's not in the pursuits. It's not in sin. It's not even in the non-sinful things of this world because they're all temporary and fleeting and don't last. But be amazed by what else he said there in verse 11. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you. Ever thought about that? You know, it's one thing to tell me that, okay, the worldly pursuits are not going to give you a full joy, but Christ will. But I want you to think about this now from the other angle where Jesus says, I want to have my joy in you. That's a pretty radical statement, especially when you think about an all-sufficient God. An all-sufficient God who says, you know, want to know where I derive my joy? I'm going to derive my joy in your life. Now, that might sound strange, except if you're a parent, this makes an awful lot of sense. Because you derive great joy as a parent when your child has great joy. That is some of the greatest joy you have. In fact, I love, Dan told me this for years, and now I'm, I'm, I'm there, I'm getting it now that my, my kids are leaving me and going away and all of that. And he says, you can only be as happy as your saddest child. <laughs> because so much of your joy is bound up in your children. Did you see that Jesus just said that about you? He just said the exact same thing. He said there in verse 11 that my joy may be in you and that your joy would be full. You having the joy that I want you to have, that all satisfying joy that comes from being in Christ gives me joy, he says. His joy is ultimately then bound up in our joy. And that is just an amazing idea. And again, reminds us of the kind of God we serve and how much God desires our true joy and true satisfaction to say that about us and say, that's what I want you to have. That's why I'm writing these things to you. I'm telling you not to sin, not because I'm a mean guy, but because joy and satisfaction are not there. It's in me. I'm telling you not to go after the worldly pursuits and disconnect yourself from Christ because it's not out there. You're not going to find it. And for however many years you've lived, you know that. You know that. You've, you've tried. Whether sinful or not, you've tried. It's just like the writer of Ecclesiastes said. It's a vapor. It's cotton candy. Tastes sweet for a second, then it's gone. It vanishes. It's, it's no good. It's gone. And so I'm trying to make your joy complete. In fact, listen to how the Apostle John worded it. He had the same idea when he said it is, 
given me great joy to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as the Father has commanded us. Here is even the Apostle John relaying that same picture. My joy comes from your joy, and your joy can only exist in a deep connection to the vine. And this is what Israel has missed in Ezekiel 15. He's coming to them and saying, you have completely missed your purpose. I gave you everything. I gave you every advantage. I gave you my word. I gave you my law. I gave you my blessings. I gave you the land. I gave you everything you needed for life and godliness and satisfaction. And you threw it all away. But let me bring the other side of the coin. Let's come back to chapter 15 of John. And listen to how the parallel of Ezekiel 15 continues. Verse 6 of John 15. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. We've talked about that. And he says, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. Now, I think this is an interesting perspective. As I sat here and thought about what Jesus just told us here is using that same Ezekiel imagery and trying to express to us our need for fruitfulness and our need to belong to him. That for verse six to say now, and the branches that do not bear fruit, that do not abide in him, that they are disconnected from the vine. He gathers them all up and he throws them away and he throws them into the fire and they are burned. And I want to just underscore the same idea. Is God being mean here? No. That's the nature of being unfruitful. What do you do with a vine branch that is disconnected that doesn't bear fruit? It's kind of like he doesn't have a choice. (laughs) We haven't given him an option. That's what Israel had done to God. Here, I've given you all these things. God comes looking for fruit. It isn't there. What am I supposed to do then? And the same thing is given to us here. Branches that are not attached to Jesus cannot bear fruit. Therefore, the branches are useless. I'm just going to cast them in the fire. What else am I supposed to ultimately do? Because there's nothing left to do. But here's what I want us to think about in a couple of things tonight. It's our choice to be disconnected, isn't it? That's our choice. That's our decision. We're the ones deciding if we're going to abide in him or not. We're the ones deciding if we're going to remain in him. We're the ones that are going to decide if our lives are going to be bound by Christ and be full with him or if they are not. In fact, you see that same picture given in verse 9 of chapter 15 of John. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept My father's commandments and abide in his love. Jesus, why should we keep your commandments? Why should we do what you say? Because that's how you remain in my love. Well, why is that so important? Why should that matter? Because that's the only way you're going to have any kind of long lasting joy or satisfaction in this life and in the life to come. It's not anywhere else. And so I'm writing this to you. So that my joy can be full because your joy will be full. He's trying to move us with that kind of motivation. And unfortunately, what we've often failed to see is that our unfaithfulness 
and our disobedience removes us from the vine. It makes us unfruitful. We're no longer useful. We're not carrying out our purpose. We've gone a different path and we've gone a different direction. So I want to end this lesson with just just two big ideas. I want us to think about that fascinating picture of using this vine image to Israel in the Old Testament, to God's people also in the New Testament, to help us to see this idea that God wants us to have satisfaction in him. God did not make the world so that we would be permanently feeling empty and unsatisfied. In fact, the writer of Ecclesiastes is great about that. He says the whole point of things being temporary and unsatisfying is so that you would then look upward to eternity and see that there's something more to this world than the things of this life. And God wants us to have then our joy to be full in him. And so two pictures. One, God's reminding us that faithlessness to him is what leads to uselessness. And that's what leads to emptiness. And I worded it that way so that if you're feeling empty in life, you're able now to determine the problem. Because faithlessness leads to uselessness is what leads to emptiness. Empty life means We haven't found our purpose, our value, our point. The world's running around with its hair on fire trying to figure that out. What what, 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 what am I supposed to be doing? Faithfulness is what's going to make you useful. And that usefulness is what's going to give you satisfaction rather than emptiness. And this is the picture Jesus is giving. It's the picture that God was giving Israel. The two are bound together. I'm trying to help you see why you feel empty so that your joy can be full. And that leads then to the second point. If we live in Christ's love, then we're going to bear a lot of fruit. He just, he, he made that a, a, an absolute. You remain in my love. You're going to bear much fruit. And if you're remaining in him and you're bearing much fruit, then God says, I'm taking joy in you. What an idea. And your joy will be full. So let me end with just a couple questions then. What do we need to change in our lives so that we can remain in Christ's love every single day? What do we need to do differently so that, you know, our day is done today? So let's think about tomorrow. What do we need to do differently so that we can be abiding in that love? So that we can enjoy the joy that God wants us to have? What changes need to happen? What decisions do we need to be doing differently? What paths do we need to be taking? So that we can attain what Christ is promising to us. That we can be fruitful people who are attached. And I always like these questions when you come to the end of the year. Because what happens when we come to the end of the year. Just you know you turn a calendar and it's a big deal to all of us. We go okay it's a new year. You know 2023 is going to be so radically different than 2022. And of course it was so different than 21 right. This is the hamster wheel God has us in. But here is what we're supposed to be focusing on is okay here's your, your new time. Will you do something different next year or will it be the same old, same old? Will your spiritual life just be the same uselessness and emptiness 
and lack of joy, lack of satisfaction, and you're scratching your head and you're wondering why, why another year of the same old, same old. I want you to be thinking about Ezekiel 15 and John 15. What can we do different? So that this year we're remaining in his love. So that this month we're remaining in his love. So that this week we're remaining in his love. So that tomorrow we're remaining in his love. What will we do to have that connection? What will that look like? Because unfaithfulness leads to uselessness, which leads to emptiness. And God did not put you here for that. He wants our joy to be full in him. And he wants to have his joy in us. Let's go to God in prayer tonight. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for being a God who has such a deep love and desire toward us that it would be possible for you as a self-sufficient almighty God to have joy in us. That is a stunning picture. Lord, thank you for loving us in that way, caring about us in that way, and showing how much we mean to you that your joy would be tied up with us. Lord, I pray that you would forgive us that you would forgive us for how often we make ourselves useless. How often we don't find our joy and satisfaction in you, but we try to find it in worldly pleasures and pursuits, that we seek after sinful things, that we cave into our temptations, and that we try to seek it anywhere else but you. Lord, forgive us for that. And Lord, I pray that you'd remind us that apart from you, we can do nothing. Apart from you, that we cannot have lasting joy. Please remind us of that when we stray away, when we go down the wrong paths, when we go after the things of this world. And Lord, we pray that we would be useful to you. Lord, make us a fruitful people. Make us branches that are deeply connected to you, bearing fruit as you ought, as we ought for you, so that our joy can be in you and that your joy would be in us. In Jesus' name, amen. Sing an invitation song tonight. We invite you to find your purpose and your joy and your satisfaction in Christ because that's the only place you're going to find it. Oh, how we waste so much time on so many things that are never going to answer it, never satisfy it, never fill it, never be what we want it to be. Listen to Jesus' words tonight that you need to find that joy in him. Be a branch that is deeply connected to him. And if we could help you do that tonight, would you let us know? You can come forward now while we stand and while we sing. Yeah.